you know, I would never, people always say, you know, do you want, do you wish him to be different? Um, I would never wish for him to have to live in the body he lives in because it's so challenging, but it's, all of this has made me a better person that I never would have come to without this experience. So I have to say for, for me, I wouldn't change things, but for him, I might change some things so he could live a more comfortable life. All right, we're going to restart here. Episode one, technical difficulties to get rolling, but uh, we're back. We're back together here. Okay. I am Daniel Fadley, and this is Stephanie Goley. And this Stephanie is my friend from college um, and um, an inspiration to me because of things that we have in common um, by being advocates and caregivers um, for people that we love. Um, I got to this point by, um, by my wife having a fall and breaking her neck um, and suffering a spinal cord injury. Um, she technically became a quadriplegic. She's done really well recovering from that. Um, and for that, we're really grateful, but she requires help every day. Um, and we, uh, she fell two years ago and then about six months ago, eight months ago, she had another fall and she broke her femur. And so what we're doing here with what I've created called unrevealed purpose is, um, we're, we're going to try to tell the stories of people who are caregivers and advocates um, because they are kind of the unsung heroes. Um, I'm not saying that about myself. I'm saying it about Steph and the people who really have a lot oh, to do. You're an unsung hero but too. The, the, um, I think what happens a lot is um, they just go about doing what they do. That's what I do most of the time. I just do what I do. And I love Robin and I want to help Robin and I want to help her recover. But but uh, being an advocate can be a lonely, um, it's lonely at times, it's, it can be depressing at times, it can make you feel like you're, you're incapable at times. Um, I say you, you're, you're kind of a, a amateur nurse and doctor and physical therapist and massage therapist and uh, hairdresser, and you name it, chef for that matter. Um, you end up doing a lot of things um, that you weren't you never really anticipated. Um, I got there through a sudden accident, something that was totally unexpected. Not everybody gets there that way. Um, but when Robin had her fall last, last, uh, October, it was a really defeating time for us. It was a short window of being defeated. Um, and it was a short window because I had a source of inspiration for me. And so the, the why I call it unrevealed purpose really comes down to my experience and the person sitting here with me on this, on this video screen, because when Robin fell and broke her femur, I, I went into why the hell does this stuff keep happening to us? And I stayed there for a few hours and uh, Robin was at the ER and she, she said, just go home. We're trying to figure out where we could go because that hospital didn't have an orthopedic surgeon, nobody that could really address what she had and no hospitals were accepting transfers. So we basically had to refuse care, leave, go somewhere else, but we weren't going to do that until we knew where we were going. We had to figure out where to go. So the long story short on that is she sends me home. I get about, I don't know, an hour or two asleep. I wake up, she calls me, 
they'll take us in Iowa City. I drive to to pick her up from the hospital, get her in the car. She's finally resting a little bit. And I got thinking, you know, something happened while I was sleeping. And I wasn't mad at the world, the cosmos, God, anybody anymore. And I don't know why, but I got thinking about Steph. And um, we're going to learn about, you're going to tell me all about you, Steph, but I know enough, um, but not everybody does. And uh, so I want your story to get told because your story was really inspirational to me because where it got me was Steph's in a situation where she's got a child, she's got three children. Um, and as we all, you know, any parent knows, every child needs to be cared for. Um, Steph has some unique circumstances with hers. And um, so what I thought about was my friend, Steph, who I know a lot about, there's nobody on earth more qualified, more capable to be the mom for her kids than her. That she, I, I believe this, Steph, you were uniquely chosen for this through whatever belief system you might have. But there was something that made this happen because you're perfect for it. And then I realized the hypocrisy of how I'd been feeling about myself, <laughs> which is if I believe this about Steph, I pretty much have to believe it about myself. And my attitude towards being an advocate since then has changed dramatically. And so I wanted to create this to allow advocates to get the chance to talk about what they do, what their life is like, and um, how they really deal with all the things, right? Because it can be a lot. So that's what the purpose is. I don't know. I'm committed to doing five. I figure if I do five, then I'll know if it, if anybody cares, I'll know if it's fun. Maybe it'll be a hobby. Maybe I'll never do another one, but I wasn't going to do five without one of them being Stephanie. And since you're the inspiration for how I even came up with the name Unrevealed Purpose, you're number one, girl. I feel so honored to be number one. And honestly, I didn't know that whole part about you, um, you know, coming to that or, or having that realization so early on and like what a gift to have that reality so early. Not that, you know, like everything ebbs and flows and not that you sometimes don't go back to the place of like, why the heck is this happening sometimes? But, um, you know, that's pretty amazing that it happened relatively quickly for you. Well, yeah. Thanks for saying that. I, I think I had started like trying to seek, I was I, like, I knew I started a couple weeks before that. Like I got to get my poop in a group. Right. You know, I got to get my head right yeah. about all this um, because you do have emotional swings and, and you, yeah. you are faced with circumstances that you, you didn't really plan for. And um, so I, but I, I had gotten to the point where I got to be better, right? Robin needs me to be better and I need to be better for myself because I know I'm not, I'm not doing this the way it needs to be done. And so I think the, the catalyst event, the trigger was her falling again 
femur's broken and then that combined with me just kind of having spent the last couple of weeks, the previous couple of weeks, just reflecting and trying to Mm -hmm. figure some stuff out helped a lot. Um, I would not wish it on her ever again, but it did, it was a turning point for me. So, right. So let's do this. How about you tell me how you came to be an advocate and a caregiver? Well, you know, actually kind of similar to you, this was kind of a sudden thing that happened. Um, I was pregnant with my first child and I carry children well. I had a great pregnancy. Everything was perfect. And I worked really hard to do all the things you're supposed to do and eat the right way and do the right exercise and all the preparation. And um, when he came into the world, uh, he had a lot of difficulty and he ended up suffering from a brain injury, um, which, uh, you know, cut off his oxygen supply for an undetermined amount of time. We're not even really sure, but he came out pretty blue, not breathing, um, you know, APGAR scores, I, just dismal. Um, he had to be resuscitated. And we were kind of in a rural hospital in Northern California where he was born and they didn't really have, they didn't really have what was needed to support me there or, or my son Kai, uh, who is now 17. So I've been at this kind of caregiving thing for a substantial, what I think is a substantial amount of time, you know, 17 years, he's almost 18. Um, and it's been, it's been quite a journey. It's, I know that word kind of gets overused a little, like I'm on this journey, but it really, it really has been a journey and it's been, you know, all, all of the things, all of the emotions, all of the growth, um, you know, I would never, people always say, you know, do you want, do you wish him to be different? Um, I would never wish for him to have to live in the body he lives in because it's so challenging, but it's, all of this has made me a better person that I never would have come to without this experience. So I have to say for, for me, I wouldn't change things, but for him, I might change some things so he could live a more comfortable life. Um, so he, you know, had this, essentially he had a, a brain injury. He had significant brain damage. Um, the day after he was born, he was flown to San Francisco, which where he spent three weeks during that time, they did all kinds of tests and he was having subclinical seizures. Um, they said that he had blo- gro- global brain damage. Um, explain what that means. Moderate. A lot of people aren't going to know what that means. Uh, just brain damage to over kind of his whole brain and they kind of gave it a moderate score. So there could be, you know, um, minor, moderate, severe. He was in the moderate, which is kind of the biggest range. And they were, they were very good. The doctors were very good about not saying he's never going to do X, Y, and Z. You know, you always hear those stories. Doctor said they're not going to do this and that. And then they overcame all the odds. They were very smart and they never said he's said that. What they said was he's going to have trouble walking, talking, communicating, um, eating. And, you know, this was my first child. I was like, what is happening? Um, And uh, my husband, uh, his stepfather and his mother are both in healthcare. 
Um, he, his stepfather's a pediatrician. Um, his mom came out right away and she kind of knew things that were coming. And so she kind of would give us the heads up, you know, they might want to put a, a G tube in, which is a gastronomy tube, which allows you to feed directly into the stomach, not by mouth. Um, you know, and that was like, what is that even? I don't even know what that is. What are you talking about? Um, so we ended up going home after three weeks. He had a, a G-tube um, for eating because he was not able to swallow. He had no gag reflex. He had no sucking reflex. So, you know, my I had this vision of what things were going to be like. I was going to have this birth with no drugs. I was going to do this and that. And, you know, that totally got blown out of the window. I didn't have any drugs, but I probably should have, and I probably should have had a C-section, but whatever. It, that's the way it happened. And um, I was so dedicated to nursing. You know, the, the thought of me not being able to nurse my child was really devastating for me. So I started pumping right away. And so for nine months, I pumped all his milk and he did get he did get um, my breast milk, which at least I felt good about that. But man, I never want to be a cow because the, those pumps are, you know, not, not fun. Um, so that's kind of, that's how I got can I, there. Can I stop you for a second? So, you know, yeah. um, maternal instinct, um, that bond that uh, is, is so clear happens when you, see a, a mother nursing a, a child what yeah. what do you feel like you missed or how did you replace it hmm. I think so much was so much was focused around how to take care of this child that has so many needs it's almost like I couldn't I couldn't I wasn't grieving that part because we were kind of in triage mode for a long time. So I didn't get to really think about that. Um, I mean, we did, I, I, we held him all the time because he was really unhappy when he wasn't being held. So there was that. I mean, I did hold him. I tried once he was able to start sucking a little bit. Um, I did try to nurse him and it just, it just wasn't working and it, it just wasn't worth the effort. It was like, everybody was frustrated. So we just kind of continued what we were yeah. doing. Um, but he, you know, what they told us at the beginning was we don't know what he's going to be like. We know that the earlier kids get intervention, the better chances they have and the more support they have, the better odds they have. And so I kind of just held on to that and said, okay, then this is what we're doing, you know, and just, sort of move forward. I think I went through the grief process pretty quickly. You know, it was like, there was shock, there was anger, but I moved through that. And it, and then it became about, I don't want to say solving a problem, but it became how, how do we do the next thing? How do we do the next thing? Like I, I didn't get stuck wallowing very long because I, um, I, I, I mean, there was too much to be done. It's like we had to keep, we had to keep going. And then by the time he was two, he got diagnosed with uh, cerebral palsy, uh, seizure disorder, 
CVI, which is cortical visual impairment, which means that um, the eyes work, but the connection between the brain and the eyes doesn't work. And so it's really unclear what he can actually see. He does see, but not very clearly, like faces are too complicated for him. Um, and, you know, we just sort of went for it and was like, well, what's, what's his life going to be like? What's he going to be like? And we, we did a lot through the past 17 years to support him in reaching whatever potential he was going to reach. Um, so many places to go with that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm, I am curious though, you know, I, I get the just solve, I mean, I, I understand why you don't want to say you're solving the problem. Yeah. I, I get that. We, we went, we've gone through that a few times where it's, we're just, we're just plowing ahead, right? What's next? Yeah. And you don't want to feel that way, but that's, it does occupy the mind and it does help to feel yeah. like you are accomplishing something on the path to this person that you love and adore having something better happen to them. Um, exactly. But you're, you're like super resilient anyway. I've known you for a long time and you're a pretty tough cookie. Um, I don't know Rob as well. We should acknowledge Steph's not in this all by herself. <laughs> yes, I, I am definitely not in this by myself. And that is one thing that has been... Um, you know, divorce rates for people who have special needs children is very high. And we have found a way to make it work. And we kind of fell into our roles pretty quickly. Um, I was the, this is what we're doing. And he was kind of the cheerleader. And I was like, I need you to build this. And he said, okay, what does it need to look like? Or I'd said, we need to spend $5,000 on this. And he said, how are we going to do that? We'll figure it out. And so he really became, you know, a champion and supporter for us and, you know, has been, has been ever since. And he's a, a, a great dad and he can also, he also takes care of Kai. So it's, it's not just me and I am the main caregiver. Yeah. And speaking of Rob building things, um, Kai has had the most badass Halloween costume costumes of anybody I've ever seen. Like what, what Rob constructs around the wheelchair, the assistive device, whatever. It, yeah. I mean, it is um, every, every year when those pictures come through, I'm like, Holy shit. How did he do that? Yeah. We've kind of like let that go a little bit, but those were, that was one of those things like, okay, this is our theme this year. This is what we're doing. We need to make this. And then, so then he would kind of, come up with an idea of how of how to make it work yeah it, yeah so it's fun we kind of after a number of years we're like all right like i i don't know you can't do it anymore <laughs> we've kind of let it go and he's like you know 17 he's right. not gonna go around trick-or-treating and he can't eat the candy anyway so what the heck yeah fair enough fair enough so um maybe what are some of the things like because there have been procedure after procedure, assessment after assessment. What is what's been the kind of the, the the big events throughout the course of the last seventeen years that you've had to uh, just make sure it happened? Yeah. yeah, I would say. So just and before I go into that, just to give kind of a picture of what Kai is like yeah. now. Um, so we did all the things. You know, we did the early intervention. We did 
so many alternative therapies, treatments. We were flying around the country, going to camps. We were doing stem cell trials. Um, I, I took a three-year-long training program to be able to support him. We went to this other place that did created these neurological rehab programs that we were working with him six hours a day on these things. We had a hyperbaric chamber in our basement for a while. You know, it's just like, you're like, what is going to flip the switch? And, uh, you know, it, it didn't take long for me to realize, like, Kai is probably not going to run any marathons unless there's some major breakthrough in medicine or technology. You know, I would, I'm never going to say never, but what we know right now, that's probably not going to occur. But what is possible? Could he learn to roll over? Could he crawl? Could he um, be able to put things in his mouth? And, you know, when you have a child like this, you meet people and they love to tell you stories about others they've known. Oh, I knew somebody who this and this happened. And the doctors all said that they would never X, Y, and Z. And now they do, you know, as a way to encourage. And I totally appreciate those stories. I love hearing those stories. And that's not the case for everybody. You know, I know, Daniel, you know, you're a Midwesterner too, like me. And we kind of grow up with this notion that if you work hard, you're going to get repaid. You're going to get what you want. You're going to get what you need if you work hard. And that isn't true. Always. You know, we can work really freaking hard and you don't get the payout. And that's what we did for a long time. We worked really hard and we brought Kai to all these places. And, um, you know, he's he doesn't walk. He doesn't talk. He doesn't roll over. He doesn't sit on his own. He can't bring things to his mouth. His body is just too impacted. Um, and and that's okay. You know, we've. I don't think we wasted any time doing those things. I felt like everything we did led us to the next idea. And even more importantly than that, it led us to meeting other families and other parents, which made it feel not so lonely, like you were talking about. Um, and that was super important in, in my healing as a, as a parent and, um, you know, just being able to keep moving forward. And so at some point we sort of realized we're, we're going to give this, um, this therapy or whatever one last go. And that was the one where we were doing six hours a day of, you know, work at home and it just wasn't enough bang for our buck, you know. I feel like everything we did helped him a little bit, but nothing really made a huge impact that was either worth the time or the money. Um, so, and then, you know, my perspective shifted and it was like, okay, so what do we do now? Now we just, Kai's going to have, you know, the best darn life that we're, that we can give him and we're going to include him in everything and we're going to find ways to adapt whatever we're doing so he can, participate in whatever way he can. Um, but then, so that's just a little bit how he is now, you know, he's full care. Um, he does eat a little bit by mouth. Everything has to be pureed. I've been making baby food since, you know, for 17 years. So he eats pureed food. He also eats through his tube, which is most of his nutrition goes through his tube. Um, and we make that too. They, um, he'll make his, his 
formulas, but it's real food. I didn't like the formula idea. So we make it with real food. And, um, but his major surgeries and plateaus were really um, started out with a G-tube, which we had taken out when he was five months because he started eating by mouth and we thought we wouldn't, weren't going to need it. <laughs> and so I don't know, our doctor did it for us. He's like, okay, I'll take it out. Um, which he didn't. And then he ate by mouth completely until he was nine. And then we just couldn't keep up with the demand on his, on the calorie intake. And so then that was, you know, that felt like a big mom fail there. Like, oh gosh, we have, he has to have another surgery for something that he already had that we had taken out. Um, and I also feel like if we never took it out, he would have never gained the oral skill that he had because he had, he had to eat by mouth for so long. Um, there was no other option. Um, so he does have oral skill that I don't think he would have gotten without that. That's how I justify it in my mind anyway. And, um, and then after that, it was, he didn't really have many surgeries. We did some kind of alternative things, alternative surgeries with his legs, some, um, fascia lengthening, um, and things like that. Then he got his baclofen pump. And that was kind of the start of a series of surgeries. Um, and I know you know baclofen pumps well. I do, but, as... but why don't you go ahead and explain it? <laughs> uh, so baclofen pump is a medical device that's implanted in the stomach. And then it has a catheter that goes around to the spine and it delivers medication directly to the spine. And you can, baclofen is also an oral medication, but you have to give it so much of it to get an effect when you give it orally. That if you can do it intrathecally, I think that's the word. You nailed right? it. Intrathecally. Nailed it. If you could do it intrathecally, um, you, you don't have to give as much and you don't have the side effects from the medication as much. So um, he got that because he has really high tone. Sometimes, I mean, he, he can bend metal with his tone over time. He has broken so many parts on his wheelchair and stuff because he can just, he just pushes against with his feet and sometimes it can be really overwhelming. So if anything's off in his body, he, he immediately goes into high tone. So, um, and he would be, so just, explain, explain tone. Cause, um, I wasn't familiar with the term until I met Robin and Robin has a son who has CP also. And so I learned a little bit about tone and then after Robin's yeah. accident, she has had yes. So tone, it. and it's interesting because some people with CP are like really floppy, you know, like their body doesn't have hardly any tone, and then other people have a lot of tone, like their muscles are always contracted, always distended, um, and then Kai would be called dystonic. So he's in and out of tone. He's kind of always moving, which in some ways has helped him because he doesn't get contractures. Which contractures are when you. Um, like you get stuck, like your arm, you often see people with CP have like their hands and their wrists are kind of bent in and they're kind of stuck like that because they've gotten a contracture. Kai doesn't have that problem because he's always moving, which causes a whole nother set of problems. Um, so tone is an issue. He has low tone in his trunk. So he doesn't, he can't really hold himself up well. His neck, he can't really hold his neck up for long periods of time. Um, but his legs and his arms are either, you know, his arms are either straight out or they're contracted in. 
or they're straight out or contracted in. And it's like anytime he try, makes an attempt to move or do something, everything has to go. He can't just move one arm. It's like, you know, when he was a baby, he would try to like bat things, you know, things hanging in front of him. And it was like everything was going because he, he can't differentiate uh, the functions of the body parts. Um, and tone is often mistaken for strength, which is, a, is not the case. Just because he has high tone doesn't mean he's strong. And, but he bends metal with his tone. <laughs> But he can't actually, he doesn't have a lot of volitional control of, of his Listen body. to you with all the big medical terms. <laughs> See? Amateur right, doctor right. right here. Yeah, I, I've learned a lot. I've yeah, that lot. is, um, I think, so, uh, I, I don't want to call it underestimated, but it's, it's, not, it's not what I expected when Robin got hurt. Mm-hmm. And now I, ta- I have these conversations with people about what's going on with Robin. They're like, how the hell do you know all this stuff? I'm like, well when you live it every day and then you talk to doctor after doctor after doctor, it it just becomes a second language to you. And, and right. you, I mean, you've been doing it for 17 years. Yeah. I mean, I was just, you know, had a appointment before this a virtual telehealth appointment with Kai's neurologist and it was a new neurologist because his old one had retired and, um, you know, just the medications that we're talking about in the plans, like plan A, B, and C, when he has these episodes of really high tone. And um, I don't know, it's, it's, it's crazy to think like all these words that just fly around that are not part of most people's vernacular. Yeah. So you, so you had the baclofen pump put in and then, yeah, then so what, the I mean, what, pump. how did that go? It, it went okay for him. We, we had it done at this time because we knew we were preparing for a big surgery where he was having his hips um, done. And I'll tell more about that. But uh, that was going to be a long recovery and a difficult recovery. And so we were hoping that the baclofen pump would help aid in, in the recovery so his muscles wouldn't be so tense. And we would crank up the baclofen a lot. So essentially... I, it doesn't paralyze you, but it, um, you know, it interrupts the nerves to the muscle and can help relax, which would be great for the other surgery. Um, so then he had that other surgery and he, it was, um, trying to remember the name exactly. Basically because he doesn't stand and walk very much, um, and I say very much because we have lots of equipment we can put him in, like a stander where he can bear weight on his legs, but it's all kinds of supports because um, he can't stand on his own. And he also has something called a gait trainer, which allows him to take steps um, but because he doesn't walk on his own. So it's all kinds of support. So he does get that input to his body. But because he doesn't really get that enough, his hip sockets don't form correctly. And so um, what they have to do is essentially go in and carve out a hip socket and attach the hips. Um, So we had both femurs done and uh, part of his pelvis had to be adjusted. So if you think about all of that, that is a lot. That is a lot of manipulation in his body. And he's, 
not a big guy, you know, because he has all this tone, he burns calories like crazy. So we can't, we can't even feed him enough because he burns it up. You know, he's 17, he weighs 85 pounds. And I'm like, if we can get him to 100, I'm good to go. Like, I'll, I'll feel happy if we can get him to 100. But he's 17. I don't know if he's going to make 100. I'm shocked that that's all he weighs. Because the pictures, just when you kind of look compared to past pictures, when I see pictures of him, I'm like, man, yeah. he's gotten big. How? Because you're not a particularly right. large person. I, I'm not a large person. And I, yeah, I can still, I can still carry him. So I feel like 100 pounds... I don't even know if I'll, I mean, 85 is kind of, I'm getting to my limit. Wow. Um, but he, so that was pretty much a horrendous recovery. And part of it was horrendous because he was in surgery, you know, for like nine hours and uh, he's so skinny. Like he doesn't have a lot of padding on his back. And um, he ended up getting sort of a, a skin ulcer right on his sacrum so it was like super close right on top of the bone and when he's recovering with these hips he's not supposed to um he has to keep his legs spread apart with this device and he has to kind of be rolled into like every half hour so he doesn't get bed sores but then he had this sore on his back so they didn't want him to be on his back but he couldn't really be on his sides because he had these hips so it was months of dealing with this this thing and we couldn't like he couldn't stand up he couldn't he had to be in bed and we had to roll roll him all the time it was a really and there were a few times they were there like worried it was going to get to the bone and cause an infection um but anyhow we ended up being able to take really good care of it and um that didn't happen so i'm so that was like his main major surgery how old was he when he had that surgery Uh, I feel like that was 14 or 15. It was right before the pandemic. So 2019, early 2020, somewhere in there. Like 2018 was the backlift and pump. March of 2019 was the the surgery. And then something happened. And we brought him in for a follow-up appointment for a surgery and they did x-rays and the surgeon freaked out. Cause he's like one, something's wrong with this one of the hips. Like the, the hardware is not, the bone is not doing what it's supposed to be doing. He was really concerned, like what's happening. We need to get him in for emergency surgery. And then we realized that he had been, um, my friend came over to watch him for an hour so I could go do something. And it's not, it wasn't a trained friend who knows how to take care of him. But I'm like, seriously, just like leave him in bed, just check on him, read to him, he'll be fine. And he ended up falling out of bed and probably landing on his hip. And so for like four months, we were starting to make him stand, starting to make him walk. And he was really uncomfortable, but we kind of thought that would be normal after you've had this surgery and you're kind of getting back into it. Well, we think the fall probably dislodged some of the hardware and he had to, you know, have surgery. This was actually right before Halloween. And so I was really disappointed that we didn't get to have a killer Halloween costume that year. We still, he still came home and we still put him in, in this wheelchair with this Ghostbusters thing on, but you know, it wasn't the same. 
I didn't remember that part of the story. Yeah, that was kind of like, I mean, talk about guilt, you know. <laughs> Here we are making this child try to stand and walk, and he's not able to tell us what's wrong. And, yeah, you know, that's yeah. That's I'm happened. I'm curious about that because you and I had a conversation here a few weeks ago, some point in time. I don't remember, but we were we were talking about what we're going through, what our experiences are, and you said something because with Robin, if she hurts, she tells tells me she hurts. Right? She yeah. has no brain damage from the fall. She's just as sharp and witty as ever, <laughs> um, and that's really really good news. Um, you don't have that. You don't have right. Kai able to tell you, but your your perspective on it was very different than what I would have guessed. So talk about that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is so frustrating not to know what he's experiencing, even on a daily basis. I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, he was going through something and he, we ended up in the ER because we were like, we don't know what's happening and we've tried everything that we can think of and um it's really frustrating and it's hard and the other side of it is it saves me from some emotional turmoil you know he I don't hear I don't get to hear him complain about how hard life is how much it sucks to be in the body he's in how much I, I don't hear any of that I imagine that he experiences it I don't hear it. And, and in some way that saves me a little bit of emotional drain. Yeah. You know, I have three teenagers in my house right now. God help and you. And I tell you, I tell you that Kai often is the easy one of the crew <laughs> <laughs> because they all, the rest of them all talk and they, you know, um, so Kai is happy. You know, he is a love and he is so happy when things are going well and he only whines and complains when there's something really not right and um so I feel really lucky because a lot of people in my position have children who really suffer and struggle like a lot um so I feel like we we have space between the struggle of his struggle of a lot of you know him being fine and being fine in the sense that he's not in major discomfort. Well, that all might have something to do with you. I mean, you and Rob have fought and fought and fought and done everything that you could imagine doing. And um, I think that's one of the things about caregivers and, and advocates that once you, once you opt in, it's pretty much all in all the time. And, and yeah. um, I can't imagine what it would be like to not be able to have a conversation with Robin. Right. I mean right. that, that we get to lie down at night and talk about whatever happened during the day, whatever's going on tomorrow. And um, there's comfort in knowing that she's still She's still okay. Physically, yeah. she has a lot of limitations. She's exhausted a lot because like Kai, I mean, for her to just 
use the walker and get across the kitchen takes a lot more effort than just yeah. hopping up on your own two feet and going for it. Um, it, and I, and I think it's just amazing to listen to you talk about his emotions, Kai's emotions, because he can't use words to express them, but it's clearly right. obvious to you. I mean, it's obvious when he's happy. It's obvious when he's sad. It's obvious when he's maybe bored or checked out, but there's not a lot of nuance, you know, between that. Um, sometimes I feel like, like we're connected at a different level, you know, in some way, like, uh, and sometimes I, I feel like, and this might sound totally bonkers, but I feel like sometimes the universe lets me feel what he's experiencing it it, it it like gives me an idea like oh maybe he's feeling this way because I have kind of a stomach ache right now and it's kind of annoying I wonder if that's what he's complaining about or I wonder if he has a headache I, I don't know I feel like sometimes I have these strange ailments pop up just sort of under the radar that are maybe giving me an, a clue of what he's experiencing I, I mean I have no scientific evidence to this other than it's happened numerous times um also you know he had a seizure disorder and for many years his early seizures were kind of taken care of with a medication and then he was weaned off of that and he wasn't on seizure medication for a long time because he wasn't having seizures and then he had a couple of breakthrough seizures that were connected to his sleep and a couple and those were like you know, call the paramedic kind of seizures where we had to go to the hospital. And then after that, he was put on medication and, you know, thank goodness he hasn't had a seizure since 2016. So he's very well controlled. But in, a, in at least two of the situations where he's had really intense seizures, you know, he was sleeping in his room and I was like, I need to go check on Kai. You know, like, you know, don't, bother a sleeping you're, child you're like one of those child. dogs that knows what, that somebody well. needs help i know i one was like the middle of the day and he was taking a nap or kind of taking a nap he wasn't ever a really good sleeper and i was like i just turned and i walked in and he was having this major seizure so i think in some ways you know i'm attuned to him in a way that i can't explain don't have to it doesn't you know, need to be it's explained. The mom, it's, a mom instinct or mom intuition or... I totally totally believe that's a real thing. Telepathy or something. Yep. I totally believe that's a real thing. So um, you've got two other kids. Kai Kai has been yeah. the, the center of attention in many, many ways for, for as long as you and Rob yeah. have been parents. But you've got two other kids. Talk about them and talk about what the dynamics are like of of having a child that um, requires so much attention and how you manage that as a, as a mom. Yeah. You know, I always wanted to have three kids. I don't know why it was just like, that was the number. And when we had Kai there, you know, there were thoughts that went through my head. Like, I don't know if we can have any more kids. Like, how can we do that? Because he needs so much. Like, how do we actually do that? And I ended up was working with a therapist at the time and she kind of gave me permission to think that that was a possibility and not that I needed permission, but she, 
you know, a lot of people when I talked about that, were like, oh, really, you're going to have another kid, you know, or something. And it kind of gave me the permission to think about it. And she also said, and you should do it soon. And I was like, okay. So, um, and once I decided that we were going to have a second child, I knew we had to have a third. And partially that was because I couldn't imagine having a single sibling of Kai be the only sibling of him and have to carry the weight of, of that by themselves. And so I, I was like, you need to have somebody else to share that, to share that sibling ship with because Kai is a big, a big deal. Um, so Liam is uh, two and a half years younger than Kai, um, which came after a couple of miscarriages. So it was like a, a long haul to even have Liam. Um, a lot of anxiety <laughs> during those pregnancies. It was like, is this one going to work this time? Um, and, you know, his birth wasn't much better than Kai's. He struggled. Uh, the outcome was substantially different. And Liam also, though, has some significant learning challenges. Um, physical challenges, not, not at all. Um, you know, he appears as a typical, you know, thriving 14, almost 15 year old, um, but has a lot of learning challenges. And then uh, the third one was a big surprise. Um, we weren't planning at the time, even though in the back of my mind, that's what I wanted. Rob was good with two boys. He's like, I think we're good. And then all of a sudden, um, sister came along. And by that time, I was like, uh, plan C-section, please. Like I, I vote for that. And they were like, yes, let's do that this time. Um, and they were different doctors every time we had moved a couple of times. Um, so, and she, you know, had no issues there. And she's the one who, you know, like the paperwork's easy for her. That's what I always say. Like the paperwork for the other two, when you're filling out camp forms or filling out whatever is like, you know, a novel and her, it's like, no, no, no. Okay, great. Thanks. I have one, one easy paperwork to fill out. That's a, that's a um, funny way to look at it, but I get it. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. All the, all, all the stuff, all the back to school stuff, all of the, anything you join or go to, you know, there's always like, they give you two lines to explain your child and you're like, this is, you know, see attached. <laughs> Here's his medical binder. Um, and they're, you know, they're, they're really great. All of them are really great. Um, my daughter, Addie has probably the biggest burden because she has brothers who, um, who are different and who are a challenge. And um, I hope someday she looks back at it and sees it as a gift and as something that helped her grow as a human being. Um, but, you know, she's in middle school right now and everything in middle school is a challenge. Yeah, not a lot of middle schoolers focused on growth and, and lifetime development. So, Right. Although she did, um, she did, become part of the best buddies group at her school, which is like a group that works with special needs kids at school. And that was not, you know, that was one thing that Rob and I have both been pretty 
vocal about is like we do not expect them to take care of their brother you know um, we don't expect Liam and Addie to be the caregiver for Kai um, when we're no longer around um, we hope that maybe they will help um, be part of figuring out what where he does go or, or what happens to him but we don't expect him expect them to take care of them of care of him and you know, we do expect them to step up though, when we're out in the world and it's like, you need to hold the door. You need to buckle your brother into the, you know, tie down the, in the tie downs in the van. Um, you need to sit with him for half an hour so I can go for a run. You know, that's kind of where we are. So they do help and we do have expectations for them to help with certain things. Um, and also sometimes they get big benefits from having Kai you know, often we'll be out places and I'll, I'll say just as a reminder, everybody thank Kai for these like kick-ass seats we just got at whatever event we're at, or let's thank Kai for the fact that we can park here and we don't have to park way in the, you know, back for something. And, or how about that we never have to wait in lines? You know, we get very lucky and we never expect to cut the line we you know queue up like everybody else and inevitably people spot us and are like oh you guys come this way and we often I mean coming through customs we just went to Europe and it was like we just go to the front of the line you know I feel kind of bad sometimes but at the same time I'm thank you yeah don't feel bad we've we've learned that that because Robin can get around the house and if we go places, we'll get her in the car and, and we can get her in and out of the car and she can use a walker or a cane. But when it's time to go to an airport and you got to co- you have to cover a lot of distance, then it's wheelchair time. Yeah. And the wheelchair is the fast yeah. pass. Most of the I time, know. most of the time, we had one real bad incident coming back from Columbia in <coughs> Miami that it was not. But most of the time, it's the fast pass. And I'm sure yeah. you've been through this where you get to security, you get to TSA, and then you have to explain, yeah, he's not going through the metal detector. He's yeah. not going through any no. device you have there. He's not going to, they, they always want to see, want Robin to stand up and go walk through something. And we're like, she's packed with metal and can't walk without yeah. assistance. So can we just do the pat down and get this over with? And they're usually really good about it. Right. Well, and we're usually um, traveling with a lot of medications that are liquid. So we usually take a long time getting through TSA because they have to, you know, swab his hands for, you know, I don't know, gunpowder residue or whatever they're checking yeah. for. And they have to test all his medications and make sure they're they're good. So, um, but yeah, usually we, we have some perks with, you know, traveling with Kai. And um, so we always try to point that out to his brother and sister. So they, and, and they are, you know, very loving to him. And, um, I, I worked really hard when they were younger. I never wanted them to resent him, um, or resent the situation. And I think it's inevitable. There might be a little bit of that present, but they, they also understand, you know, I've had conversations with my daughter about, um, how much she, how much she loves her brother. And sometimes she wishes that she wishes it were different, you know, like you can have both of those emotions. Yeah. It's, it's okay. Yep. Like I, I get that. Um, and then, uh, 
you know, my, my middle son who would probably do much better at a different type of high school, like a tech school that we have close by, he wouldn't consider going to it because he, he feels like Kai needs him at his school. So he's saying, <laughs> he's staying there, I guess he's staying at, at their regular high school. That's uh, it's, it's, I'm sure there have been hard moments with the, with both of the other two kids around things. And especially for Addie dealing with, she's got two brothers that one is very clearly like, you don't have to look at very yeah. long and say, okay, something happened there. And the other one, Liam, yeah. who does like, you know, every video you post, he's like doing flips and juggling or whatever. So <laughs> you, you wouldn't, and- <laughs> you don't just look at him and say that, Hey, that, that's a kid that struggles. Um, but yeah. you know, per your, your description, there's, there's, there are those struggles, especially academically. And then there's Addie, perfect little Addie. Right. Right. Well, and that's the, that's the thing, the perfect, you know, she feels like she needs to be perfect because she knows the challenges. Um, and so we've been having a lot of conversations about that, about how perfection isn't what we expect. And there are different expectations for you and your brothers. And that sometimes seems unfair, but that's the reality, you know? Yeah. We have a, we have a bit of an expression at our house around the variation, the differences in expectations. Tough ski, shit ski. That's life. Right. (laughs) We, my, my siblings and I joke about my mom when we were in 4-H, you know, back in the day, my first year of 4-H and my, my steer didn't make money. And I said, I worked really hard. That's not fair. And she said, life's not fair. Get over it. Tufsky Shitsky. That's right. <laughs> I should have stayed in the Midwest because I was like going into a whole conversation about equity versus equality and how they're different things. And <laughs> yeah, you, you can do Tufsky that if you shitsky. want. That mean, that's much we easier. We use fewer words around here. Right. <laughs> so. Oh, that's great. Um. I think Addie should feel really lucky someday. Maybe it's not soon, but someday yeah. that she's got a mom yeah. um, with the strength and the perseverance and the resilience uh, that you demonstrate over and over and over again. And I'm sure that doesn't come easy. Maybe it does. But I'm, uh, you know, tell, tell me about, you, you mentioned going on a run. You mentioned, what, what are the things that are part of Steph's routine? Because what you're dealing with on a daily basis without some break, without, without, you know, I, I called it when I first started making time for myself, being selfish. Without being a little bit selfish, right. I was going to explode. Yeah. So what do you do? What What's part of being selfish in the way that helps you stay strong and, and mentally able to, to deal with everything? Yeah, I love, I love that. And I love that, you know, selfish doesn't have to be bad. And I sometimes feel like, I don't know, maybe some people maybe think I'm being selfish or whatever. Cause I do, I do self care. Um, I, I try to take care of myself. That doesn't mean that I get to do everything I want every day, but 
I make it a priority. And I actually, you know, because Kai is so physically demanding, I feel like it's actually part of my job at his mom to, to be strong physically. And I've always been, um, into fitness and, um, I didn't start running till college, but I've, I've always been someone who exercises regularly. And um, then I kind of became a runner, did some marathons, did some triathlons and had kind of, and when I say triathlons, I'm not talking about Ironmans here. I'm talking about like short triathlons. Whatever. It's Um, all psycho. I don't, I don't get it. (laughs) And I, you know, that feeds me. And, And I feel like doing it is part of my job because once we're not able to lift Kai anymore, either because I'm too old or because he's too heavy or whatever, life gets substantially more difficult. And you have to have at least two people or you have to use this thing called a Hoyer lift, which is like the most ludicrous piece of equipment. It's so inefficient. And I have one in my garage that's collecting dust because nobody wants to use it because it's a big Is that... uh... Is that like an overhead hoist kind of thing? And you got to yes. put the purse, like they, they used them. A, put them in like a yeah. sling and, but you have to kind of roll them around in order. So you have to move them anyway. It's easier and faster just to get two people to like yeah. do it. I mean, in the Hoyer in a pinch, maybe, but I'm still not sold on the whole idea. So anyhow, my plan is to be able to move and lift Kai as long as I possibly can. And I have had some back injuries which were pretty terrifying. And I, I thought, oh my gosh, how can I ever, I'm not going to be able to take care of Kai. And um, so anyhow, that's a total side tangent. And that just reinforced like my dedication to staying strong and exercising. Um, so that's my main thing. I have a good group of friends who are also really into fitness and we like to do the same thing. So I spend a lot of, I shouldn't say a lot of time. Like I, we often meet up and go for a run or go cycling or meet up and swim at the pond um, or go to yoga. And I always have somebody that I can do that with if I need to and want to. And I also do a lot of things on my own. So exercise is my big thing. Um, The other thing that is huge for me is spending time with friends. So whether that's exercising or uh, going on a hiking, you know, I, I like to have things on my calendar. Like, what am I looking forward to? <laughs> I'm going to go for two nights and we're going to go hiking here, or, um, we're going to go do this or that. Um, so spending time with friends. And the third thing, which is really probably one of my most life changing experiences was when I, um, started a meditation practice and a mindfulness practice. And that, I would say that started around 2014, 2015. And I took this eight-week course, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, which is a very well-known course. And it was it was life-changing. Um, I felt like my fuse sometimes is kind of short. You know, I can I can get frustrated and angry really quickly. And during that eight week course, when I was meditating a lot, you know, 40 to 60 minutes a day, which how was I doing that when I had these, you know, four year olds, five year old, four year old, a six year old and eight year old like Kai. And I just said, I have to do this. I have to 
figure out, I want to try this. I have to do it. And um, for eight weeks I did. And it was life-changing how I changed. Even my husband said, wow, you are, I can just see you have a different sense about you. Your fuse is much shorter. Um, you have more of an ease and more calm. And I feel like through my learning in this process um, also brought me to a place of acceptance of where, of, of Kai and our life. And this is where things are. And I really had this paradigm shift towards, towards not um, keeping on pushing to go to the next thing. What's the next thing we're going to try? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Um, and it got more to a place of not that I'm giving up, but I'm going to try in a different way. You know, it's not this grasping at straws type of thing, um, energy around it. It's more calculated and, um, more relaxed effort, I guess that, that we give. And we got to a place where, you know, we live. We live on Cape Cod, Massachusetts. We live, you know, two minutes from the beach, five minutes from tons of beautiful ponds and lakes. And we could have made the choice to move to Boston or a city that would offer a lot more opportunities in certain ways. But we also knew that living in a city was not for us and it's not what we wanted to do. And that having a place that was... Um, living in a place with the beauty that we have and the ability to just go down to the beach or go paddleboarding, you know, or fill ourselves with those peaceful moments was so much more important um, than being close to certain things. And we go to Boston a lot for, you know, doctors and treatments and things. Um, that's kind of a digression, I realize. But Anyhow, going back to my mindfulness meditation practice, um, that has really supported me. And it really was so life-changing that I actually kind of changed my career to go into that type of work. So now I work for a nonprofit and I teach mindfulness to kids and adults in schools. And um, I was formerly an elementary school teacher, so it kind of mixed these two worlds. And I really love what I do and... Um, yeah. And it's, it's interesting. Once you get on the mindfulness train, it's like, there's no end game. You just keep developing and learning and you're never done, which is a little comforting <laughs> in some ways because you just, you just keep going and just keep deepening whatever your practice is. So I would say those are the things that feed me the most is, exercising, friends, my meditation practice, oh, and and traveling. That's the other thing. Whether it's going on a camping trip with our family um, or traveling wherever, I like to have something on the calendar to look forward to. So those are my main selfish things. I, Yeah, and they're, you know, between you and me, we can keep calling them selfish, but, but I think what you said about you know, it's part of the responsibility to this person mm -hmm. that you, you need to care for. And I just remember feeling so guilty 
taking time for myself and feeling like there's all these things that need to be done. I'm alone yeah. doing a lot of them. And the idea that I was going to really dedicate time to me, it, it was really hard for, for quite a while. And then I, I, uh, I thought I had Lyme's disease. I didn't have it, but I, I had, I found a tick and, and then a couple of weeks later, I wasn't feeling very well and I was out of town and I go to the, the, uh, urgent care there and they put me on the scale and I was like, what in the world has happened to me? Like I look, I looked down and thought I've never weighed this much in my life. Like you'd lost no, weight. I had gained weight. You gained weight? Bad habits, oh. just bad habits. Just wasn't <laughs> wasn't taking care of myself. Was really trying to get calories into Robin because she didn't have a very big appetite. And I was like, you have to eat good food. You've got to get calories. And then she wouldn't eat very much. And then I'd eat all, everything that she didn't eat. And and I really just I said, I I gotta get this under control. And it wasn't wasn't like morbidly obese, but just knowing how much I had weighed most of my life and then you start seeing yourself in the mirror a little differently where you're like, yeah, I don't look nearly as good as I thought I did. (laughs) So that was kind of the first thing I'm like, I have to get control of my physical health. Mm -hmm. And I'm not a, I'm I'm not running any marathons anytime soon. Um, But I just started getting more disciplined about, okay, what am I going to eat? How am I going to prepare it? All that kind of stuff. I'm not going to be fanatical about it but I'm going to get healthier physically. Mm-hmm. And then that really helped transition to the mentally I've got a, my head's not right. Okay. My, I'm getting my body closer to right, but my head's not right. And I started reading a lot and you mentioned uh, mindfulness and, how, and the impact it's had on your life and, and mine's less uh, maybe there, there's less of a curriculum or less of a, um, movement around it, but I, I really got into reading Ryan Holiday's books and I got in reading them because one of my hobbies, one of the ways I escape is I turn on a podcast and I'm out doing stuff on the farm or whatever. And I just escape. And, and Ryan Holiday was one, was on one of the Rogan podcasts talking about, um, his approach to things. And I've just hammered through all those books now and and but it's all based on stoicism the the teachings mm-hmm. of the stoics and there's a lot i think of overlap between yeah stoicism mindfulness um all those kinds of things and it's a lot to do with just finding peace you know act on what you can act on yeah. but just finding stillness and yeah um realizing that it's all this that you're feeling that's about you actually isn't really that much about you. It's your perception mm-hmm. of what you're of, of the situation. And that perception is driving your actions and you can change your perception. And once I started changing my perception that, and I still fall, right? I mean, I, I, I fail, I fall, I trip, I do, I do stupid stuff. I, you know, I'm still my old self every once in a while, but um, finding those moments, my routine is get up, 
I have a few things I do in the morning. I read, I journal. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm not militant about it, but the days I do it go different than the days I don't. And that's just part of me being selfish and saying, I'm going to take this time to focus on feeling my hand with a pen traveling across the paper. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, it is. It's life changing. So um, I think that's a pretty good spot um, for us to, to, to wrap things up because we've been at this for over an hour. I never would have guessed how long it would, we'd be able to, I could listen to you all oh, day because um, I am um, as sincere as I can possibly be that the day Kai was born, the day I learned Kai had been born and I learned about the situation, I said to myself, there, there couldn't be a more perfect mother in the world chosen for that kid. And I didn't realize how thinking that then would impact me now. And you are, wow, it's been a long time. You are, you're a superhero. You're a badass. I love you. And I'm so thankful that you shared your time and your story with me here today on episode one of somewhere between five and more. I don't know. Well, thank you so much for making me your first interview. And it's been, it's been really lovely just to, just to share about the experience and, you know, also the beauty of, of the burden and the beauty of um, taking care of somebody we love. That was perfect. The beauty and the burden. Cause that's, I, I, I think that is underestimated and that's exactly what it is. Um, and, and it's okay to have it be both. It, for sure. For sure. We can't, we, we don't have to feel guilty about acknowledging the burden. That's right. That's right. And I think that's the, that's one of the biggest things that people just for anybody who ever listens to this or anybody who has a friend who needs to listen to it. Um, that is the emotion of feeling the burden is going to be greater than, than the beauty of it until you, until you get to that point, but you can, Steph has, we're going to try to find more people who have. Not every day, but yeah. Well, and it's, of course, not every day, but, but people without those burdens don't find yeah. the beauty every day. And I think, and, and I will no, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I, I just also want to say that I also couldn't do this. Like you really are doing this on your own. Um, I, I couldn't do this and do all the things, all the selfish things I do without my husband, A. He, he takes a lot less time for himself. Um, not because, you know, I encourage him to take more time for himself. He just doesn't. And I, and we also have had hired help for a long time to support us. And, um, I live in a state that has really high taxes and that is beneficial for us because we get support from the state to be able to, um, pay somebody and we subsidize because they don't get paid nearly enough for what they do. Um, but yeah, we, we have some great people who've helped us throughout the years. And um, now that he's older, 
it's easier for me to let other people care for him when he was little, not as much. Cause it's like, he's little, he needs his mom, but now he, you know, he's 17. He doesn't want his mom around all the time doing every little thing on his body. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And I, I think it's a, it's a really important point though, too. It's part of that self care is having help. It's a hard thing to ask yeah. for at first, but we have, we have, have had people that come into the house two, three times a week because just doing dishes, moving the laundry along, starting to prep part of a meal, just any of those things in my situation, I'm not doing it by myself, you know, yeah. um, because we have people come in and, and we've, we've had to work out, you know, you, you don't get to do this with Kai, but you get to do it with Rob. You know, for me, it's, Hey, Robin, if you can just help me think about what to have for dinner. Right. Right. <laughs> if you can just order the food online from the grocery store, I'll pick it up. But the the weight of all the thinking and all the doing is too much. Right. It's too much. And I and I it took me a while to get there because it was hard to ask for help. But now it's like, who wants to help? I got an idea for you. And frankly, this podcast, what we're doing right now would not exist right now if I hadn't asked Adam, my stepson to help, mm -hmm. you know, I would have gotten there eventually or somebody else would have helped me or whatever, but I asked him for help. He started figuring stuff out and said, and, and it's just, I wanted to do this, but it was going to become a burden without beauty if we didn't get to it. So. Right. Well, I'm so glad that it's, it's off and running. Do you have other people slated? Um, well, I'm actually using this, this, I've got a list of people, but you're like the only person that I felt comfortable comfortable saying, here's what I'm doing. And what I'm doing is that we're going to do this. We're recording it. We'll make it available via audio. Who knows about video? We'll see about that. Um, and then I'll, for each one of these I do, I'm going to write a blog post um, on the website, unrevealedpurpose.com. And that is, that's a selfish thing for me. Right? I love it. I, I wrote a blog for Kai for a long time and it was really cathartic. Yeah. Um, and then we kind of had to let it go, but, um, maybe I'll go back to it. Yeah. Again. I searched for it the other day. I was going to do some prep, but it, it, it oh, didn't, okay. I don't know if you lost a domain or something happened. No, it's still okay. there. It's called Chronicles of Kai, but it's with yeah. a K, K Chronicles. Okay. That's what I spelled, but I'll, I'll give it a, I'll, I'll send, I'll send okay. it to you. Um, well, it's, it's kind of too late now, but maybe one of the interviewees should be you. Maybe we should interview you. Oh, well, who's going to do that? Well, I can do it. Fine. I mean, I just have to ask questions, right? Yeah, pretty much. Talk. Pretty much. <laughs> I, that was the idea. Okay. That was the idea. Right. So that's an option. Okay. Well, we'll think about that. I kind of like it. Okay. If nothing else, it gives yeah. us an excuse to do this again. I know. This is kind of fun. I feel kind of like. Official. Oh, you're going to be famous. We all know it. <laughs> all right. Steph, <coughs> thank right. you so much. And uh, yeah, give Robin a hug and tell Adam, thank you for putting it all together. You just did. He'll probably listen to it tonight. All okay. right. Thanks so much. Take care. All right. Bye. Who inspires you with their care and advocacy for someone they love? Nominate them to tell their story on a future Unrevealed Purpose episode by filling out the three question nomination form at unrevealedpurpose.com.